and our ability to be together, this place and our fellowship with one another. I pray that uh, this evening our, our hearts would be surrendered to you, that we would hear from you and respond to you. Minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we're in the midst of this discussion uh, that Paul is having through letter with the church at Corinth. And uh, you come to uh, verse uh, 1. I'm wondering, based upon the fact that there are no italics in my notes, whether I've got this... I'm wondering if I've copied the correct translation uh, or if I've got another translation. So let me just verify. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, nope, I did not. So we'll read it. Uh, forgive me, I'll use my phone uh, for this evening and we'll, we'll do it this way. So that's going to be a little, little awkward for me. Uh, but uh, I just want to... Uh, read from New King James as I normally do rather than uh, this is probably I mistakenly copied it from the ESV probably so all right well that's enough of my inner weirdness and my own wrangling first uh, Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1 Paul says now concerning spiritual gifts and uh, you know I went through all of that because as you see uh, the word gifts is actually in italics, meaning it was added, and, you know, for greater clarification and understanding. And certainly, uh, you know, what we understand today and we talk about uh, spiritual gifts, but it would much more uh, accurately read now concerning spirituals, brethren. I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away by these dumb idols, however you were led. And that's the idea of idols that were unable to speak, yeah, mute or dumb. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaks by the Spirit of God, calls no one uh, speaking by the Spirit of God, calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. A lot has been made of that in the modern church uh, today. Uh, simply, uh, Paul was clarifying that uh, there were individuals, apparently, who uh, were very rebellious to the Christian message, who would come into their meetings, be part of uh, their regular gatherings, and then uh, they had different ways where people would get an opportunity to speak. Somebody might raise their hand or just stand up and say, I have something to share, and they would call upon that person and speak. Uh, we talked about how previously when pa Paul talked about how women should pray, uh, that there's a very specific order. Here he's clarifying apparently there were occasions where people spoke blasphemously against Jesus, saying that it was, you know, them being filled with the Spirit. So clearly that's wrong. Anybody standing up in the church saying, thus says the Lord, you know, Jesus is not God. Jesus is accursed, or 
anything along that lines, but it goes much broader, okay? You know, to say that's wrong. You know, anyone who says Jesus is a curse, that's clearly not from the Holy Spirit. Well, you can also say that of any other thing that doesn't line up spiritually with the word of God. If someone stands up and says, thus says the Lord, and then preaches something that's contradictory to the word of God, you're allowed to say, hey, stop. That's, that's wrong. That, that doesn't line up with the word of God. Uh, you know, you're not, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking on behalf of the Lord right now. So, so it isn't just that he's throwing out this idea. It's a very broad concept of you have the tools, you have the equipment in the, the spirituals, the, holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the word of God to discern when someone is speaking on behalf of God or not. Oh, that the church would wake up to that idea. You know, that the, the televangelists and the false teachers and preachers would be called into account uh, for the things that they have said, which are not correct. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, you know, making confession unto salvation. You know, in contrast, a person who's going to surrender their life to Christ does that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, he says here in verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Um, he's going to go into an explanation of this. It's important for us to understand that right here on the onset of, of what he's about to describe, he really wants to get the point across that as far as being filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, having spiritual gifts, we're all going to have spiritual gifts, every one of us. There's a diversity of spiritual gifts. And, uh, you know, the English language doesn't translate it well here for us, he's, he's making very clear the idea right at the opening here in verse 4 that, you know, anyone who's surrendered to the Holy Spirit is going to have spiritual gifts. And it may not, I'll just get to the punchline, it may not be prophesying or speaking in tongues. And to this day, the church is really infatuated with those two gifts, you know, they, they are alive and well and working in the church today. But, you know, no, nobody wants the, the gift of helps. You know, I always point that out. You know, the, the gift that makes a person want to go unnoticed. You know, we've talked recently about the fact that uh, the, the key element of Jesus Christ's characteristic is that he emptied himself of his glory and became this humble servant. If you're a child of God, that's going to be a key characteristic of your personality. You're going to be reflective of your heavenly father. You know, a, a profound gift of the Holy Spirit is the individual who wants no recognition and is very willing to serve anyone and everyone. And yet that's not highly promoted within the church you know you get into the the movements that are focused around 
the spiritual gifts, the denominations that really, you know, promote these things heavily, and they concentrate on uh, prophecy and speaking in tongues and and preaching. You know, those are the really, oh, those are the powerful ministers. Uh, Think about uh, if we had churches filled with prophets, okay, there's there's one, I mean, real prophets, yeah, church, a whole church, is pro- everybody's prophet. You know, a whole church where, you know, an- another whole church. They're, they all speak in tongues. Everybody has the, the real, genuine gift of speaking in tongues. Everybody in the congregation. And now take a congregation where everybody's filled with the Spirit and filled with the gifts of help. Wow, you know, now, now who's going to actually, you know, do more? You know, no, not me. You go. You first. Let me help you. Let me promote you. You know, my whole goal is to make your ministry better. You know, think about how successful a church like that would be where they were desirous of, you know, working and doing. And instead, we concentrate. Why? Because it isn't even spiritual. What is going on is selfishness and sinfulness. Look at me, everybody pay attention to me. Have you noticed the gift that I have? Have you noticed? I spoke in tongues. I did it quite loudly there in the back. And, you know, everybody's head turned to me. I, you know, I hope you noticed. I have the gift of tongues. I have the gift of prophecy. And I, I need to be clear for anybody online and us here tonight. I, again, want to say I have the gift of tongues. I pray in tongues. I know, maybe Lori's heard me speak in tongues, but I, I don't think anybody else in this room ever has because I don't find a use for it in the church. You know, I do find a use for speaking with clarity, with words you can understand. You know, spending my time in study and, and actually letting the Lord lead my mind into whatever illustrations so that I can give greater and greater clarity to this word of God. You know, that, that I find very useful to, uh, you know, myself and to anyone that I communicate with. Uh, the church concentrates on the wrong things. And, and that's really where Paul is beginning from here. You feel, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I you, you know, don't want you to be ignorant about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here, There's a diversity of gifts. You know, there's lots of different things people experience. You know, maybe you need to pay attention to, you know, that's where he's beginning this whole conversation with them, is, is to say, don't get all tangled up in a couple specific things there are differences uh you know diversities of gifts but the same spirit there are differences of ministries okay now here here's the thing he's going to describe three phases here Uh, but you have the diversity of gifts and then you have the differences of ministries okay the man who has the gift of tongues who serves as the pastor that gift may be demonstrated in his life in a different way than the person who has the gift of tongues but works as a deacon, works in another role. So the point is that if you have a specific gift, it doesn't even mean that it's going to be used in the same way. You know, the person who has the gift of teaching but isn't the pastor, may be in a different role, may have a different 
function. Maybe he's never even going to teach a Sunday school class. He just communicates very well uh, with all of his coworkers, all of his fellow students at school. Uh, he, he doesn't ever hold that position of being the pastor and the teacher, but he has a gift to communicate in that way. So, so you have the diversity of gifts, but it's the same spirit. There's a different uh, difference of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities. So gifts, ministries, activities. Now, now let your mind think about like all the different ways you can combine those things. You got specific gifts, okay? Now that specific gift. Well, what's my area of ministry? Okay, well, my gift in my ministry, I'm just, now how does it become active? How, how do I activate it? How, how, it, how is it taking its active role? So, so, you know, most of us are familiar with this passage and, and the fact that he then goes on to describe the body, right? You know, all of these things have different roles in the different areas of the body. And, and that's why by the end he's, he's saying, how can you say, like, you know, the hand uh, could say to the foot, I, I'm not part of the body because I'm not, uh, you know, an eye, I'm not an ear. You all have different uh, roles. You know, how about this, right? Skin cells. Uh, skin cells grow uh, from the inside, you know, the bottom layers to the top and the top layer is dry because it's dead okay that's and it's a protective layer you got a nice thin sort of supple layer of le leather <laughs> on the outside right you know when you've scraped that off in an accident and you got a little road rash and that's all wet and painful that's because that's living skin underneath that you know, it needs to die off again and get healed over back to your leather patch so that you don't have that raw sensation. Well, here, that's how the skin works, right? Bottom to top. Uh, in your ear, if it was doing that, you know, right after you were born, your ear canal would have closed up because it would have grown closed. Instead, the skin in your ear grows from the inside of your ear toward the outside of your ear. So skin in this role has a very specific ministry and activity, whereas in, in here it has a very different ministry. and It's still skin. It's still growing and producing cells and doing it, but it's, it's functioning in a very different way. You know, as Paul gets into this description of the body, we really need to understand he's encouraging the church of find out, number one, what your gift is, number two, what your ministry is, and number three, what is your activity? How does that function? Because, uh, you know, the person who has a desire to take care of the practical needs of the body, you know, inside the congregation of the church, we might call that a deacon. Outside the congregational meeting of the church, the same role going around and serving people house to house, I guess it doesn't even really make them much less a deacon. It's just they're doing it in a different place. You know, the, the ministry might even be considered deacon, but they're doing it outside the congregational meeting of the church. 
so so then to think like oh well i'm i'm lesser you know those guys get to you know collect the tithe or you know hand out the communion and i i'm not really part of the body they are and so the feeling of disconnect or unusefulness it's just not true you know, we all have the diversity of gifts and ministries and activities but it is the same god who works all in all but the same manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all the spirit working in us whatever your gift whatever your ministry whatever your activity is for the benefit of the body the collective whole is is what we're you know designed for <clears throat> the profit of all for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit now here's the thing those are two different uh function words of wisdom right you know I i'm totally making this up just for illustration you know uh okay how about we'll use some specifics agabus says to the church hey uh there's going to be a famine you know word of wisdom um you know or excuse me word of knowledge he knows there's going to be a um famine word of wisdom uh word of knowledge there's going to be a famine uh, in in the book of acts someone else in the church might say well since we know that there's going to be a, a famine maybe we should prepare ourselves uh by storing some food or or maybe getting ready uh, to leave and go live in another area jesus uh gave them prophecy directly uh, sermon on the mount in word of knowledge telling them that when you see these horrible things happen uh, don't go down into your house and even collect uh, your clothing but flee into the wilderness and let god take care of you he's going to sustain you and literally members within the church remembered that Jesus had given them that word of knowledge supernatural knowledge no one could have known unless the holy spirit gave that to them Jesus had supernatural knowledge he imparted to the church telling them you're going to see these horrible things happen when rome was about to attack the christians remembered jesus has said this and under the advice of some of the elder leaders they departed from jerusalem all of the christians every one of them departed crossed the jordan uh to the eastern shore and lived in the wilderness and were sustained by god uh they would have been killed with the rest of the jews had they not done that the the, the word of wisdom said hey we received word of knowledge from Jesus Christ that told us this was going to happen and remember he said we needed to flee right there were probably people in the church that were saying we need to arm ourselves and prepare and fight rome and and they were saying no jesus told us by word of knowledge that we should flee and they fled out of jerusalem so the word of knowledge differed from the word of wisdom but it's the same spirit it's the same spirit the person who has the word of wisdom should not say 
well, I'm lesser because I don't get words of knowledge like that. You know, Agabus knew long before the famine came that there was a famine coming. I never know anything beforehand. So I'm not, I'm not really filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that Agabus is a cool guy and super spiritual, but I'm not. Did the Holy Spirit speak to you and tell you what to do with that supernatural knowledge? Since this is going to happen, then I know what the Lord is telling me to do in this situation. That's the same spirit. It's not lesser in any way. People become fascinated with the fact that it's like magical or mystical. Like he pulled a rabbit out of his hat. Like how in the world, how in the world did Agabus know that? Agabus didn't actually know it, right? He might have even been biting his nails going, boy, I really hope there is a famine because if there's not, <laughs> then I'm a false prophet and they may stone me to death. And what a relief when, oh, thank God there's a famine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, because now he gets to see because the knowledge is the Lord's, not his. He's not any better. Now, he may learn in time how to trust the Lord. And as the years pass, he may be able to say with much more confidence the next time he makes a prophecy that way. No, this is going to happen. Why? Well, because there was an occasion back there where the Lord spoke to me and I proclaimed it to the church and then it came to pass. And now I know in my heart and I can see in my mind what the Lord is telling me, and I have heard in his word and in my time of prayer that this is what the Lord is saying to me now. So uh, today I can say with greater confidence that the Lord has spoken to me and said this about the upcoming circumstances. So the, the point, the greater point within this is that the person who has the word of wisdom is not lesser than the other person that has the word of knowledge through the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, uh, you know, and, and so the person who has uh, other gifts might uh, look at the person who has faith, who, who can just trust and know, no, I, I'm, I'm going to trust that God is going to do this certain thing. Uh, well, you, the, the person standing right next to you might not have that faith, doesn't have that confidence. The person who doesn't have that confidence and doesn't have that faith isn't lesser. That's your gift. Thank God that you have it. Thank God that you know he's speaking to you that way and you're able to trust in that way. The, the person who doesn't have that uh, isn't less in any way. You know, the, the gifts of healing. Wow, no, that would be an amazing thing uh, to have the gifts of healing. Uh, something to make note of is uh, this is also the generalized sense of a compassionate heart that would want to see people healed, right? Um, doctors and nurses fall inside this category, right? The, the person that just wants to go and help a person who's sick, rest, and get good food, and, you know, to be cleaned, and have their household cared for. The person that has the gift of healings 
is not necessarily the person that just walks in and waves their hand over the person and says, you know, rise up, Tabitha, and makes them well. Yes, that certainly fits in there, but it's also the sense of the person who wants to care for those who are sick. So by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles, which would be more the person who could walk in and say, Tabitha, rise up, you know, or, or little girl, you know, rise up in the actual healing. Uh, you know, Paul's sweatbands uh, were said to have healed people when they were taken and laid upon them. You really got to think about, like, there wasn't any magical power in the sweatband. It, it really was in the person who was taking it and putting it upon the other person. You know, they're, they're looking at Paul like, here's a guy who has magical supernatural power and, and this sweatband will transfer it to the next person. It was their faith in God's ability to heal through that thing that caused it to be so. So uh, the working of miracles to another prophecy. We've talked many times about the two forms of forth telling and foretelling. Forth telling is to just speak forth on behalf of God. Um, uh, foretelling is to tell something before it takes place. Both of those are prophecy. I think that the ch a lot of the church is capable of especially uh, forth telling, N not foretelling, telling some, not necessarily telling something before it takes place, but speaking forth on behalf of God. And unfortunately, I think that a lot of people that have the gift don't have enough faith to act upon it. You know, open your heart, hear from the Lord. Is he telling you? to go over after the worship, you know, the singing service ends and, you know, we here at the church say take a minute to greet one another before we get into the word. Has the Lord spoken to you about a person across the room and said, go over and, and share with them this verse or, you know, just this phrase, just say something encouraging to them. And, and out of fear, we don't do it. Uh, I have never seen an occasion in my own experience where I went over and said, hey, the Lord laid this on my heart and I just wanted to share this word. Where they're like, oh, no, no application. Don't know what you're talking about. Every time I've done that, which, you know, hasn't been a lot. Uh, every time, you know, they're flabbergasted. You would not believe what I've been going through this week. And that's the very verse God has. Honey, isn't that the very verse we talked about, you know, this morning? Prophecy. To, to speak forth on behalf of God. To go over and say, I think the Lord, to call somebody and just say, hey, Lord laid you on my heart. To text them, send them an email, send, send them a card. you know, And to just say, I really think the Lord is telling me to minister to you with this. And to share with them, to speak forth, the actual act of speaking forth on behalf of God. Now, there are a few occasions in my own life where I've experienced the foretelling, uh, where God spoke to me and told me 
things that were going to happen before they took place. And, uh, you know, people aren't always accepted of that. Uh, you know, you would think that they would be, that, you know, that you would go and say, hey, this is, you know, something that lies in front of you. You might want to, you know, take serious consideration. I, I went and shared uh, with a person a little over a year ago and said, look, the Lord's really laying it on my heart that the circumstances that are right in front of you may lead you to move. And, and you need to know for certain that that's what God wants you to do. And I, I went into great detail of what the Lord had laid on my heart, that they should know for certain that it was the Lord's will, whether they move or not. They had no opportunity to move at the moment. Uh, so my saying this to them was, seemed really out of place. And, uh, you know, in the end, they moved. Everything changed and all the way across the country, moved. In the midst of it, they weren't accepting what I had to say and were even saying, uh, you know, that they thought I was crazy in the process. It wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't saying anything negative. What I was really saying is when you go, if this happens, you need to know for a certainty that this is God's leading. You know, you don't want to go and just move and then, you know, wonder later, was this God's will? You're going to make that drastic of a change in your life. You need to know with a certainty that that's what God is leading you to do. People aren't always acceptant of those things when we say them uh, to them. So, you know, these different gifts have different effects on the people that are receiving them also. To another, a discerning of spirits. Now, that's one that has been uh, um, mischaracterized by the church. People will often say, uh, God has given me the gift of discernment. And then they'll start to talk about like specific circumstances that they believe they have insight about that person. I, I discern this and I discern that. And I just, that's not what this e even says. It says the discerning of spirits. And, and that is literally to say, uh, for instance, Paul started, if somebody stands up and says, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and thus says the Lord, Jesus is accursed. <laughs> the person with the discerning of spirits can say, I sense that you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. That the spirit by which you spoke at best is your human sinful flesh. At worst is perhaps a demon from hell himself. But it's not the Holy Spirit. It's also the sense of being able to say, I think this person is actually demon possessed. There is a spirit here that is not of the Lord. I've only had that happen once. Uh, was going to, well, no, I've had it more, more than once. One time uh, stands out to me in recent history where uh, I was going up to Calvary Residential Discipleship teaching each week, and there was a young woman who had come in, and uh, she was having, like, you know, I, I don't mean to be callous, but like like Tourette's, like flailings and jerking and, and verbal outbursts. And so I'm teaching and she's in the front row and this sort of insane gyration is going on. 
and it, it as I build towards the crescendo of an idea, this gets all you know boisterous and disruptive, and you know give the eye contact, and it won't stop, and, and you know finish off and calm down, and you know as I move towards the next big point and disruptive and weird and all, and so I made the recommendation afterwards of hey. You ladies need to help this person not behave that way during the Bible study. I was thinking at the time, well, drug addiction has come in, going through withdrawals, just sort of reacting to the sermon in a demonstrative way. I come in the following week and there is an animosity toward me that is very clear and the disruptions are way more exaggerated and the outbursts are really and I finally have to say to the leadership take her out of here and uh, they gently help her leave the room and she's gone and I say to the leadership later I think what we're looking at right there is demonic based upon the reaction to the word of God. As we're building towards the needed thing for the whole group that's there, this entity wants to disrupt that message. And, you know, it's very prominent. They don't have some weird seance or anything. They just take her aside very gently, share the love of Christ, and pray over her that she would be delivered from whatever that is. The next week, front row, clean, beautiful, made up, notebook, Bible, orderly, questions, gone, done. My suspicion, demonic possession, maybe, <laughs> you know, Certain theologians want to get into the debate of possession versus oppression, or I, I don't know. I, I'm convinced that was spiritual. That that what we were seeing was demonic presence. You know, the the discerning of spirits. You know, if you'd been there, you would have you know been able to say, no, that really did look like that. It was a very obvious thing. Um, I've had friends that have uh, seen. I had a friend who, Beth, that was a missionary and traveled to India on a number of occasions. And she had recorded in her uh, journal uh, that on two separate occasions, uh, when they came off the airplane, I mean, there's lots of Americans coming, you know, from New York to uh, India and, uh, you know, through Europe and into India. And uh, as they're getting off the plane, uh, people begin to freak out and make threats and demonstrate they're demonically possessed as they verbally and even physically attack just the missionaries. So the people that are there as tourists, they're, they're walking right through no trouble. The demoniacs are, are coming after the missionaries who are coming back from furlough, who are there on short-term's mission trips and in certain cases they're literally having to take the opportunity to cast demons out of people in the airport discerning of spirits it literally means that the ability 
to discern whether you're dealing with a Holy Spirit or another uh, spirit uh, that might even be demonic. To another, uh, different kinds of tongues. Now, this is languages uh, that we've, we've talked about. We'll talk more uh, when we get to uh, particularly chapter 14 and the function of the tongues. But th this issue of speaking in tongues. Now, I, I get it that there might be even languages uh, of, of angels that people with the gift of tongues use within the church. So, um, okay, you know, I can accept that there might be uh, languages and tongues that we're talking about that aren't even earthly, but specifically dialecta. Uh, that has a lot in its definition. It's, it's the specific idea of spoken language. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't matter what language you speak. Um, <laughs> I, uh, my grandson... Uh, wanted the dry erase board off from the refrigerator last night. And uh, Lori and Abby and my mom were all talking, and I'm working on my computer. And that little three-year-old, almost three-year-old mind, um, has made his request a couple of times, and no one is paying attention. And so now he's given a little jump, and he's saying the same phrase over and over. I want that now. I want that now. I want that now. I want that now. And, and I finally have to sit. They're all, the ladies are all just standing there talking together, you know, 18 inches away from him. And I'm like, you know, 10 feet away from him working on the other end. And I finally have to say, guys, you know, would somebody please give him the dry erase board, uh, you know. We know the difference, even if we can't understand the language, when somebody is just repeating the same phrase. Uh, Jesus specifically said uh, when he was teaching the disciples, uh, do not pray with vain repetition. You know, your father knows what you need. <laughs> you know, these, these empty phrases that the other cults and the religions use of they you know they get their mantra and they just say their one little phrase as they rock back and forth oh that's not our faith our faith is about conversation and word right in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god you know in, in genesis chapter one you know god created all of creation through the spoken word it's about you know intelligence of communication is what we're talking about Dialecta is a spoken language. There is a diversity of tongues. Yes, you know, when people speak in tongues, they're not all going to speak in German or French or Russian or Mongolian or the languages of angels. You're going to be in services, and if you experience speaking tongues, there might be many different languages being spoken by people who speak in tongues. But the one thing you're not going to see is just that silly repetition of phrase that is being promoted so much as being the, it's going to be spoken language. That's, that's literally what this is saying. You're going to be listening to someone praise and pray to God. We'll talk about that more specifically. 
Uh, you're going to be hearing someone who's communicating with God. You know, anytime somebody just speaks to you the same three words over and over again, uh, right away, you know, it will agitate you. That's that's not how the Lord works with us. He works with the intelligence and he works uh, through the spoken tongue. Different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So what? The interpretation. Here's the person that says the same phrase, the same one word, the same three words over and over and over again. If you've been to these you know, Pentecostal meetings, and let's be clear again, this is a Pentecostal church. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit and we utilize them. You know, here's a person that speaks, you know, maybe for several minutes uh, in the same three words or the same word over and over again. And then this person over here supposedly interprets and, uh, you know, they've got this big, long message for the church from the one. You know, I mean, I would be more content with here's the, the three phrase guy jumping up and down. And then here comes the interpretation over here, over here of I want that now. I want that now. I want that now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that would make more sense to me. You've, you've heard what was being said and you're interpreting for us what was said over there. It's spoken language. It, it isn't, you know, vain, empty repetitions as Jesus told us not to do. Well, uh, you know, how defaming uh, of the gift of tongues to behave in that way. So to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one as uh, each one individually as he wills. And uh, it's already quarter of, so I'm just going to dwell on this last idea. As he wills, not as you want, right? Um, it, it may be God's grace. Uh, you know, I have friends that really wanted the gift of tongues. And they had had different experiences. Their spouse had, had uh, you know, experiences speaking in tongues, and they really wanted the gift of tongues. Prayed for years to have the gift of tongues. Never received the gift of tongues. I've had other friends who really wanted the gift of tongues and prayed earnestly uh, for many years and eventually received the gifts of tongues. Okay? The grace of God. Giving them that gift eventually. In the end, it's about what the Lord wants to give. I, I use the example you can find uh, videos on uh, YouTube now of kids opening presents at Christmas and they don't get what they want and they throw a tantrum, you know, fling the toy, have a fit, you know, just come unglued. You know, some, I was going to say clever, but maybe even cruel fathers, you know, purposely give them the big box that they think is the giant toy and, you know, they open it up and it's some dumb thing inside. And then after they've pitched a fit and been a bad boy, well, then they bring them out the thing they actually wanted, you know, in the process. Uh, in all of that, it reveals the sinfulness and the selfishness and the arrogance of this is not the gift I wanted. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Christ has a different purpose. Maybe the community he's put you in, he needs you to be a preacher, and you don't want to be a preacher. Maybe he needs you to be a deacon, and you don't want to be a deacon. Maybe he wants you to have the gift of helps, and uh, you would prefer to be the preacher. You know, whatever it is, you need to, as I said in the very beginning of this, learn 
What is the gift God has given you? What is the ministry he has given you? And how is that going to be activated in that ministry? Uh, those are very different things. Chuck Smith said for the first 15 years of his ministry, he tried to be an evangelist because he admired a specific evangelist. And he tried to imitate him and be like him and do everything that he could to be that evangelist. And he finally came to the realization of God had made him a very skillful pastor and teacher. Not, not good at winning souls and bringing them into the church, but very good at taking those souls who have been won over and equipping them for whatever area of ministry God was going to use them in, you know. Again, we're here tonight because of that man figuring out what his gift was to preach and teach to the body of Christ that had been saved. He recognized in Greg Laurie that early on, Greg was very, very gifted at being an evangelist, and he invested in Greg very heavily, uh, helping him develop his church. Uh, probably because, one, he recognized the integrity of Greg uh, but on number two, he himself had had a strong heart to be an evangelist. And here was a young man who had a profound gift of evangelism. So he invested in that. Think about how many souls have come to the Lord through Greg Laurie. And you got to keep in mind that for more than half of Billy Graham's career, Greg Laurie ran the crusades for Billy Graham. That's how he learned how to do what he's doing today with the Harvest Crusades. So, you know, from that, Louis Palau was trained uh, through and by, uh, you know, Billy Graham and, and uh, you know, is, is prominently in South America, but all over the world uh, doing the same things. Uh, wonderful investments and opportunities. Uh, knowing, knowing what your gift is and what your call is, is the deepest fulfillment that any one of us would ever have. So, well, we'll pick up at uh, verse 12 uh, next week. Why don't we pray, and then we'll stay in fellowship for a while. Father, I thank you uh, for our ability to get together and ask that you would help us to listen to you very carefully and very closely, and that you would work in us, that we could see your kingdom come and your will be done. We long to see souls won to you and uh, those that have been won strengthened and equipped and uh, built up for good works. Use us in whatever way you see fit to do those things. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.